Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Eric Olden, who is the CEO of Strata. Strata is the first distributed identity platform that solves the problem of fragmentation through a no-code software solution. And we're definitely going to touch on that because there are a lot of words in there that I need to unpack and to get an understanding of. But I want to give you a little bit more background about Eric. Uh, he's an enterprise cloud identity expert, serial entrepreneur. He has done a lot of work in the identity and access management space. He founded, scaled, and successfully exited both Securant slash ClearTrust and simplified the first identity as a service company. He recently served as the SVP at, and GM at Oracle where he ran the identity and security business worldwide. And he was co-author of the SAML standard, um, creating the first pre-integrated SSO platform. He's also uh, wrote a new standard called IDQL, which solved the policy compatibility security issues between multiple clouds. There's a lot there that we're gonna talk to Eric about and some more things like multi-cloud resiliency and continuity. But before we do all that, let's say hi to Eric. Eric, how are you today? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey, so whereabouts are you located? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. One of my favorite cities. That whole area of the country is so nice, you know? How's the, how's the weather out there right now? It, you know, it's spring. It is nice and bright, but it's still very cold. So, yes, yeah. I think. And but... what's cold for you? I'm sure it's colder than for, for me. I'm on the West Coast up in the Seattle area. So we get cold. It's like, oh, it's 40. Oh, my God, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. My kids, they... Uh, they we're raised in this condition. They'll go out in shorts and it'll be 12 degrees and kids, man, kids. <laughs> I, that's cold for me. I wouldn't be doing that, but no, no way at yeah. all. You know, I, there's so much in you, in the show notes here that I would like to get an understanding of. So I, I if it's all right with you, we can just jump right in. Sounds great. So, um, <clears throat> I think we, if, if we start, before we get into multi-cloud resiliency and continuity and what the things that started us, could you just, can we just back up and maybe you can give the quote unquote background on the different identity and access uh, standards? Yeah. So the standards have, have been part and parcel of identity since the mid nineties and uh, all things like Kerberos and so forth. And they opened up to um, new markets so that interoperability could happen in a way that you didn't have to worry whether the stuff you built here is going to work over there. And so I think a lot of the early standards, like what we did when we introduced SAML in the 2000 timeframe, uh, was to kind of make it possible for organizations to securely trust one another and share sessions and user activity between, say, um, a credit card uh, benefits program and the travel agency that they sell something to, right? Mm -hmm. So the one has to trust the other. And when the user goes from one place to the other, they want to have that done securely and transparently. So um, standards were what made that possible because with SAML, you could kind of have uh, one vendor on one website and a different vendor on another. And it didn't matter because you could link your, your websites and your security models together. So that um, 
really, I think, set the stage for a lot of um, other kind of more recent uh, versions and standards. But um, the derivatives and kind of other ones that are really uh, key is the OpenID Connect. So if you're familiar with uh, using your Google login over at some other website, and what's why do you do that? Well, a couple of reasons. For the end user, uh, it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's You don't have to remember a password. You just click on it and hit accept. And if you ever are asked for a password, it's your Google password or right. whatever one you're using. So you don't have to think about another one. The other security thing is that on the receiving end, there's no password for someone to compromise. And the whole transaction is done using cryptography. So it's um, secure. And so, you know, standards make that kind of thing possible because um, there's a lot of different ways to build a website. But if you support OIDC to come in, now you can have, you know, millions of users be able to click and sign up for your service. So that's been a really powerful accelerant of getting uh, identity spread out more. And then the more recent ones um, have been a response to the complexity of multi-cloud because now with multiple clouds, for instance, very common to have a company use Amazon for some workloads, uh, AWS, I mean, yeah. and use Azure from Microsoft for other workloads and have a huge amount of application stuff that they have in their data center, their on-prem world. So in that very common example, I mean, we work with hundreds of enterprises and this is the pattern we see time and again. I think Gardner says something to around 67% uh, of enterprises have two or more clouds. So, you know, it's a very common situation where you have these different um, places, but as an organization, you want to have consistent security, right? You don't want to have one policy that handles things in a certain way, different on a different cloud. And so the problem in making that happen is if you think about it metaphorically, that Amazon is written, it speaks uh, Spanish and uh, Azure speaks English and your on-prem stuff is in Japanese. And you need to have say the same thing across all of these different places, express a policy, right? A rule. And the challenge is that you got to translate and do all of that, it's not consistent. So. Um, a new standard that we created is called Identity QL or IDQL. And what that does, it allow you to create one common generic policy in a human readable, <clears throat> human readable format <clears throat> that you can then uh, express consistently across all of these different clouds because there's open source software that'll translate IDQL into the native policy of Amazon and Azure and your on-prem system. So uh, what that's done is it's really opened up the uh, portability, right? You can now move things around because, you know, if it makes sense to move an app from one work cloud to another, then you don't have to redo the identity because it's the same policy. And so you're able to kind of swap identity providers and move across clouds because all of the rules have been made consistent. So um, that's kind of, a, I think, the latest generation that we're really excited about uh, here on um, 
Thank you for that. That that was an awesome explanation. And uh, when you ever retire from uh, being a serial entrepreneur, you should think about being a, a professor or a guest lecturer at least. Okay, <laughs> seriously, that was that was awesome. Um, how does one go about developing writing and creating, and then getting people or other companies and organizations to adopt a new standard? Well, I think the first thing that we did. Um, you know, both within um, the SAML days, the early days, and uh, now more recently, the difference between the two, how we ran the projects was that now in 2023, open source is assumed. People understand what that means. Whereas in the late 90s, early 2000s, open source was just kind of coming out. And the reason I bring that up is that um, any standard that is out there one of the first things that you need is a reference implementation of it, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, it's just a great idea. And so the kind of advantage of building in 2023 is that we took the time to build a reference implementation and give that away for free. And we designed that so you can basically implement the standard uh, and do it in a really easy way. And mm -hmm. so... Um, I think that was a real uh, important part of it. But if I back up a little bit further, right, you asked the question, how do we get this started? And the first thing that we did was talk to a lot of companies and ask them, how are you, uh, what are your biggest challenges right now in a multi-cloud? So we surveyed a lot of organizations to see what was the problem. And this policy fragmentation thing came up. And so we said, all right, well, here's the hypothesis is that if we could do something like a universal policy model, um, would you implement it, right? And the customer is the one who has to say that they're going to do it. Otherwise, again, it's not, yeah, it's a great idea, but is it actually going to get put to use? So we found some really great use cases that came out of those conversations and people joined the working group. And so we then expanded the thought circle to a lot of the practitioners. And then we went to other industries and consortiums. Uh, for instance, one of them is the MEF, the Metro Ethernet Forum. And they're the standards body that does Wi-Fi, for instance. And we were talking with them and they're looking for a standard to uh, extend the network into the identity world. And so I said, well, maybe get on board with this IDQL and bring your thoughts and we'll shape it to fit your use cases as well. So you get that groundswell and that's what you're really learning is, is do people care? Does it matter? Right. And sure. you can't get that groundswell, probably not worth putting a whole lot of energy into it. But uh, we had a ton of support early on because this is a really thorny problem. And then we started, um, you know, wrote up, you got to manage the intellectual property. That's an important thing with these kind of standards and open source. So, um, you know, took care of that with lawyers and packaged all of the patent work around that to make sure that we can contribute it free and clear, right? So mm -hmm. the separation is uh, well understood and, and all of that. So once we had all of that in place, we then um, started doing these boot camps and they, we brought everybody together into Boulder and it was a huge amount of fun. We filled up this conference room and it wasn't just people from my company, but you know, we, there was four or six of us, but there was probably a good 20 other people that were 
just wanted to get involved and, and help. It was really exciting because um, when you get a group of people together and you structure the problem solving, you know, we say, hey, here's the hypothesis. Let's break it down as a group. It was great ideas were flowing and it was, mm -hmm. it was just really um, exciting. And then we turned our attention to, okay, we need to do a parallel path of develop the standard. And that is done by writing a specification. And then also let's build the reference implementation. So we had to create a, a kind of a organization to push the open source software that we were developing and, and my company sponsored it the uh, financials behind it. Um, and then other people started to contribute to the open source, right? And so the community started to um, help on that as well. So it was, it was kind of a lot of community building. And I think that's a lot of conversations, a lot of, um, you know, being open-minded because I think if, if all you want to do is one thing, then, uh, you know, you're not going to get that far. And the kind of, the, I think the exciting part for IDQL has been that now with the release of the specification, oh, we also brought the software into a, an IP organization called um, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So mm -hmm. Linux organization. And so they, they basically handle all the other stuff um, in terms of intellectual property and in organizing that. But it's part of the organization next to Kubernetes and OPA. And our intent with that was to bring a standards-based uh, open source solution for identity that would fit really well if you're using OPA and if you're running your applications on Kubernetes, odds are it's a cloud application, odds are it will be multi-cloud soon if it isn't already. And so if we can kind of build that playset if you will, where all the pieces work together and then people who want to build things don't have to reinvent anything. That's where I think the, the implementation of the standard uh, is exciting because we have, you know, thousands of downloads of it. And what it's doing is um, allowing us to uh, kind of test the market, right? And, and rapidly Should find feedback. Want to right? Yeah. So um, again, I want to go back just a bit. I, I'm envisioning that initial gathering that you that you referenced with four or five people from your company and maybe 20, 30 other people there. And I'm just curious, what kind of process do you use to kind of guide that type of conversation? I mean, because you're you're introducing an idea. You're also you know allowing for brainstorming. You have to kind of keep some structure. Uh, did you use some kind of um, system for that kind of meeting or, you know, what's a, what works for you? Yeah, that's a, the way we kind of got the whole team together. There are a couple of things. One, I wrote this white paper that kind of laid the problem statement out in the hypothesis and um, some suggestions on how this might work. And that's what we use to get the team together to say, yeah, let's work on that together. So we had a kind of a common understanding of the problem because, because of kind of the contextual background on that white paper. But when we were in the room itself, it was, um, you know, let's start at first principles. What are we really trying to do? And what is the outcome? What does success look like? And just iterating through that, 
was uh, really great because I think there were um, one of the hardest things we had to solve though is chicken or the egg, right? Like how do you uh, write a specification for a standard and how do you build a standard that needs a specification? So it's, it was kind of, um, you know, and what we did is just went and wrote software. And so we figured out if we can't write it in software, then we're not going to be able to figure out, you know, on the other side of it. So um, when we got it to work, it made it clear, you know, the chicken or the egg, well, the chicken came first. So. Okay. <laughs> I always thought so. I always thought yeah. so. <laughs> I was chicken guy myself. Yeah. So, um, anyways. Yeah. And well, and then earlier you, you know, you gave a very, I guess, basic use case where you have a, a an organization that has, is using Azure and AWS but then later on, you said um, you, you were speaking to some companies or organizations that had some very interesting use cases. Um, and so maybe you can give an example of something that um, was interesting and it was really just a problem or puzzle waiting to be solved. Yeah, I think one of the, the really interesting things that we saw was, you know, the, the basic use case that I shared was multi-cloud where you have... Um, things, think about it on an east and west axis, right? Where you go left to right, and these are your different clouds. So you've got the same problem in different um, targets, different clouds. And when we were working with practitioners who were building these cloud native applications, they were saying, look, we need identity through the stack, not just across these clouds. So it became important to think about the northwest or north south axis. And so um, thinking about not only how uh, users access applications, but how they access data, how that is uh, in turn over a network, and then how you can get into um, you know, other things within like functions as a service and APIs and so forth. And so that was, was really interesting because then we were, we shifted the model on an, 90 degrees and we just said, hey, how is this going to work going top to bottom? And uh, it all fell together uh, really nicely because of the kind of pattern that we're implementing is an orchestration pattern. And so I think that's one of those things that we can implement on all of the different layers and that gives us the consistency. But that was a big um, customer driven, uh, enterprise driven use case. That's huge. And I don't think I've ever been involved with something that complex, but it's really nice when somebody says, hey, we've got this problem. Because to me, that's a, that's an opportunity, right? A huge opportunity. And if you hear that across multiple organizations, you're like, okay, <laughs> this is a serious opportunity. And if you can, um, if you can help them solve that problem, it's uh, one rewarding. Well, it's rewarding in multiple ways. Let me just put it that way. Um, so back to where you're currently at, you, you, I think you said you've got a couple thousand organizations out there um, that are using the standard or, or um, ex experimenting with it. I'll, I'll let you choose the words. And then um, what, what, and you're getting feedback as you go. And, and hopefully, you know, that kind of, I, I, I would I guess, accelerates the development process. Um, so what are, what are the next steps? Yeah, so we, we measure the proliferation of the standard through two vectors. One, I guess three vectors, one being how many people download the HEXA tool, right? Because that the only reason that you use that is for the IDQL translation. 
Um, the other one is who joins the working group because people who download it, there's a lot more of those than people who say, hey, I want to add to the conversation. I want to work on the next version. I want to write code. So on those contributor side, um, we, we accept everybody who comes in and expresses their interest. And we've got people from a lot of different organizations uh, building extensions of Hexa to work with more clouds and work with more target systems in that north-south axis. So, you know, the more of these connections and integrations that are done, the more that you can now use IDQL everywhere. It's kind of like uh, we flipped the script. We don't have to wait for the clouds to adopt IDQL because we built Hexa that makes the clouds adopt it, you know, because of the orchestration. So. Um, that means everybody, it's accepted everywhere, which, well, everywhere that we build the integrations for, and that's the, the ongoing software work. And then the last part is the, you know, the community um, within, you know, the, the service providers and the other software companies. And we've had a lot of other identity companies say, hey, you know, we want to build products that work with every standard because they want to extend the reach of their footprint. And so we've had a really interesting collaborations with, you know, some frenemies to be mm -hmm. candid, right? Some companies like, Hey, we, we kind of overlap here, but it's in our interest to work together because if we can make this work, it's going to work for everybody and it'll grow both of our markets. And in these kind of markets, they're so big, it's easier to grow the opportunity than to worry about, you know, bumping into somebody. Okay. Maybe you can explain a little bit about Strata then in terms of how Strata fits into the conversation with IDQL. Sure. So my company Strata, we are in the identity orchestration space. And that for us means that we're really doing two things. One is we solve this problem of integration that big companies have where all of their different identity systems are fragmented and solo, uh, siloed. And so what we do is we use software to kind of integrate all of those things and make them work in a, in a consistent way. So it's called an abstraction layer. And so this abstraction layer now, um, on top of that, we manage these things called uh, identity flows. And this is a simple way to think about it is how you orchestrate something across different multi-step experience and send them into typically an application. So, you know, how does a user log in to access an application? They may need to first authenticate against a username and password later or after that, because they're trying to access something more valuable, you need to up authenticate them. So you want to run a, you know, biometric on your phone or face scan. And then assuming that works out, now we need to check their access control. And that might be in a Oracle database. And the next step could be that we need to issue them a new uh, credential for some reason. And you can have a workflow that goes into that. All of those are ways that you orchestrate a user going through your different systems on their way to an application. And that um, all of those stops, if you will, on that flow are going into that identity fabric. So that's where you have all of your systems connected. And so you can really easily make that 
flow happen without writing any code or changing any of the applications because it's all happening at the orchestration layer as opposed to rewriting a bunch of applications uh, because you want to change your identity provider with this approach, you don't have to do either of those things. You just use the software. It abstracts your uh, identity infrastructure from the app, and then you can mix and match under the covers, switch from old Oracle to modern Okta, for instance. And that's a huge game changer in the enterprise because a lot of these old systems are end of life and they need to um, move these applications off at scale. So that's what a lot of companies are doing with identity orchestration. And um, as we look at the, the fragmentation on multi-cloud for policies, that's where we said, look, we can bring a lot of our expertise in orchestration to the open source world and make that implementation. Um, you know, that's what we're really uh, great at. And then we also um, make it possible to express the uh, conditions in that IDQL. So we implement it here in our software ourselves. So it gives us, we eat our own dog food, if you will. And so, um, you know, we'll be over time using that to extend into, you know, governance of different identity clouds and things like that, um, and, but always doing it in a standards-based way. So that's our kind of commercial interest is that if we find people who have that problem, they probably also have the other problem so they can use one for free and then work with us on the or other side of orchestration. Excellent. Um, it's been working good. Thank you. Um, so let me ask you when at Strata, when you are first engaging with a new prospective customer, uh, I'm assuming that you're talking to their, their identity access management subject matter expert, um, or, or maybe a little bit higher up the food chain. What are the what are the questions that you lead with, or what are the concerns that are top of mind for them? Yeah, I was just at a, a, a industry event last week at the Gartner Show, and I was talking with a big telco, and they had they were really interested. They had seen our booth, and they were asking, "Hey, well, what is this identity orchestration? Does it make sense for us? We're a big telco." And I said, "Well, there's three questions." that you should think about. Number one, do you have a complex environment? And they said, well, yeah, we've got dozens of different identity systems. We have all these subsidiaries. It's like all over the place. I said, okay, great. Number two is, do you have um, a problem both on-prem and in the cloud? You know, Do you have a hybrid world that you're trying to secure? And they say, yeah, absolutely. We got all things, all clouds, and I think they said something like on the order of seven different clouds because they have a bunch of subsidiaries, the, the consumer-facing business, and they've got the business enterprise-facing side of it. So all this complexity. And then the third question I ask is, um, do you have scale problems? Because if it's just one or two applications, you're probably maybe overkill to put orchestration in. But if you have dozens or hundreds, or we work with companies who have thousands, then it is imperative you use software because you just can't do the work manually. And that's your alternative. So um, the scale question really, I think, is the third dimension to look at. So complexity, hybrid, and scale, those generally, if you answer yes to, to two or more of those, 
you're probably, you know, should be looking at how orchestration uh, could solve a bunch of your use cases. And when you implement some sort of identity orchestration, how do you measure, what are the metrics for success or for ROI or for security enhancements or, or whatever? What are people looking to achieve? Yeah, a couple of the big business drivers. Um, I think one of the main things is the uh, use case for modernizing your apps and your IDPs. And the common problem is that large enterprise have been building identity in their environments for dozens of years, right? I've been doing this for 27 years and there's a lot of stuff that exists on premises. And so when they're looking to move that to the, say they want to move these workloads to the cloud, they realize that the identity systems that govern those applications are, are stuck on prem. There's not a cloud equivalent of the old first generation software. And so when they kind of go to look at, well, what does it take to lift and shift? We don't want to rewrite the app. We just want to move it to the cloud. And then they find that it's, it's all intertwined often with non-standards-based integration. And so it creates this challenge where you're trying to move your applications because you want to get um, you know, efficiencies of the cloud, better security and all of that, but you have to rewrite your apps. And so using orchestration, you sit, basically you break that lock-in and the application doesn't know that it's no longer talking to the old system. The orchestration layer switches it to the new system and the application is none the wiser. And so that's kind of a, a big way to save uh, that rewriting of the application, which is typically a, you know, $150,000 in six months. So that adds up at scale, right? A hundred applications is $15 million. And, you know, we work with companies that have hundreds, plural, even going into the thousands. So it's really that kind of, well, how do we do this? Because the problem is so big. A lot of companies don't know where to start. We recommend you just start with a handful of applications. And if it works, then extend the ROI. But the business driver is going to be that you can modernize, make the apps more secure, and do that without rewriting them. So you'll save all of that, retire your old infrastructure, and you know be able to do things with the new setup that you couldn't do with the old on-premises legacy stuff. And when somebody wants to, they want to move forward, but they're kind of reluctant. I mean, typically you're doing a POC. I mean, you just said that you, you can start off with one or two uh, apps or, and, and, and just see, and I guess, check the results. And if things are working the way you need them to work, then you can just continue to deploy. Yeah, that's exactly it. And we, we build our software in the cloud. So it's really easy to do. You just go to our website, click sign up, you're in free, you know, you can run it for, uh, we'll give you a full month for free, but, um, you can always use it to deploy in, um, different environments. We only charge you if you're deploying in production environments, but it's easy to set it up. You do your magic configuration in the cloud. You download this technology called the orchestrator. It runs in your cloud, runs in your environment. And you basically think about pushing your configurations from the cloud 
beaming it into this orchestrator and that works with this air gap model. So you don't have, that's the way to handle large scale distributed systems, right? You don't want to have a bunch of network connectivity coming back to the mothership. So we use this distributed model to kind of beam that configuration out in a secure way, but it allows our companies, our customers to operate all of that in all of their different clouds. So they can, one system can push security configuration to Amazon, to Azure, to Google and stuff on-prem all from the one uh, orchestration console. I, I'm just curious from the, I guess, from a business point of view and maybe slightly from a technical point of view, if you ever come across a legacy system that is much more challenging to bring on than others. And that if you do that, if you're able to solve that problem, then do you immediately go out and look for other customers who have that legacy type of tool? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the big enterprise applications are a really good example of this um, because they usually have a very sophisticated way to log into Oracle financials naturally, right? It's your financials in the cloud. So the kind of last mile integration where the user's identity needs to get into that application, that presents a really um, challenging integration because of the complexity. And it's not just Oracle, it's SAP, it's you know all sorts of the big um, packaged applications. The second thing is that you don't own that. You can't change the source code. You gotta work with what they give you because you know it's the commercial product. And so one of the things that we found using our orchestration is that we could um, basically decode what the Oracle type application needed so that we can securely pass that identity into the application. And as soon as we did that for one customer, sure enough, there's a bunch of others that say, hey, we've been trying to do that as well. And so we can just show it to them really quickly and say, hey, look, this is it. Take you 15 minutes. To, uh, to stand it up and test it in your own world. And that was something that this particular customer had been working on for almost two years and they were just hit their head. And um, it was great because very quickly we were able to kind of pull that thorn out of their paw metaphorically. And uh, it's been great ever since. Excellent. Hey, um, I, I mentioned earlier on that we were going to talk about multi-cloud resiliency and continuity. So uh, if it's okay, we could just jump tracks there and it, maybe we can just start with the definition of, uh, you know, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah. So when you think about resiliency in the context of identity, uh, the first thing to call out is that uh, identity is mission critical. If your identity system goes down, you can't, your users can't get into your application. So kind of on par with network connectivity, your identity is right there because um, it's a runtime, real-time system. And so what happens in a lot of, um, of these kind of distributed places where, uh, for instance, a retail shop, like there's a big home improvement chain that's got stores in all these different places. And each of the stores is almost like a, you can think of it as a standalone data center, right? And they've got, um, a lot of things that go back to the mothership and they're beaming information back and forth. And when their associates log in, they want to have access to, you know, the point of sale register and the other inventory systems and things to run the business. 
Well, um, when they log in, they're getting checked against the cloud. And that all works fine until you have a disaster. Hurricane comes in, someone breaks um, the fiber optic line. Now you've got the store that's really needed more than ever. And you need to keep those applications uh, running. But now the identity can't be pulled out of the cloud. And so when you think about resiliency, it's your plan B from an identity standpoint. And in the world of orchestration, what you can do is instead of basically point your orchestration to run to primary cloud, and if that's not available, then automatically go to the local identity cache. So now you're running on a kind of a backup that's local and you didn't miss a beat, right? Your applications, they're still up and running. Your employees are still using their um, same authentication, but now you can keep that application without having connectivity to the cloud because you're looking at it, something local. Storm dies down, network's restored, you automatically start failing back up to the, not failing, but you move your traffic back to um, your primary cloud and everything keeps running. So um, it's been really interesting to see that come up because it's not only in the case where you've got a natural disaster, but we found a lot of cruise lines have this issue, and which I was mm. new to me. I didn't realize cruise lines have big data centers and everything's run with applications. And uh, when they're at sea, there's no connectivity or is really expensive. And so being able to kind of run identity local to the cruise ship is a, a really killer app for that use case and one that we had no idea. Once we talked to one cruise line, turned out all of them. The same problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's a huge use case. I would just imagine, and not even cruise lines, but uh, any, any, any shipping company or anything that's out there, because we're now in the middle of the Pacific, like you said, data is super, super expensive. So that's amazing. It's, uh, I, I'm curious, I mean, because everything we've been talking about is, uh, it, or at least appears to me is to be B2B. Um, what, what, if any trends do you see with B2C identity? Well, I think one of the most exciting things with the consumer facing identity is uh, our pass keys. And it's a standards-based um, protocol that uh, is part of the FIDO uh, initiative. And the short of a long, what it allows you to do is to uh, link your your identity, like your face scan with a device. And that could be your phone, most cases, but you can also link it to your, your laptop. And instead of having it all with your company, you have that pass key can be linked to uh, Apple and to uh, Google and to Microsoft. So the big three tech companies got together and said, hey, we'll, we'll make this possible. We'll kind of all support it from an Apple iOS to uh, Android to the Windows laptop. So um, that's really exciting because what that means is that you can, as a, as a consumer facing, you know, you're selling uh, mobile phones and you don't wanna have to have someone have a password in your system. You can just say, look, we accept pass keys. And then when they're challenged to sign up, their phone has all the prompts that they are used to. They put their face in, maybe do a pin, and now they've communicated cryptographically with the 
the mobile phone selling company, and all of that's done without trading passwords. So it's, it's really exciting because passwords are the bane of so many problems and that the sooner we get off of passwords, the better. And I think making this easy for the consumer to do the more secure route where it's more convenient at the same time, you don't have to worry about a password. You don't have to fill out any, um, your address and things like that. I think it's really powerful because it's putting the power, democratizing it away from you know, a handful of big identity providers to um, a way that we can use the, do it in a free way using your, the device that you always have with you. Totally agree. I hate passwords and I love it when I go to a site or when I'm doing something with my phone, downloading an app, for example, and all, and it just looks at me and says, I guess we'll trust this guy and, uh, or, or whatever the biometric is, you know I mean? Uh, For that, for that particular case, it's just so easy and nice and ultimately more secure, you know, especially if there's a couple factors, you know, there's, there's always a couple factors of authentication there. Um, well, hey, Eric, um, what, if people want to get more information um, about the IDQL or about Strata, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, appreciate that, Mark. Um, I think the best way to uh, learn about Strata is on our website. And we've got a website is at Strata dot io spelled s-t-r-a-t-a dot io and um we also have a kind of a special thing for uh, our podcast conversations um that you can get to at strata dot io slash podcast and you know one of the fun things that we do with that um, page you'll see you can submit a use case and say hey how would you solve this with identity orchestration and so we'll kind of show you how that use case can be done. And um, we like to, we have a good time with it. People try and stump us, I guess, is part of uh, <laughs> what I'm getting at. Yeah. And then on the standard, if you want to get involved, I would point you to um, the hexapolicyorchestration.org, long mouthful there. Just Google hexapolicy and you'll find the uh, site on the cloud native computing website. That's another place to find it. And you can learn all about the software and you can get access to the IDQL spec in the documentation there as well. And if you want to join that working group, there's contact information on that site as well. Awesome, Eric. Well, hey, uh, I really appreciate you kind of uh, taking a step back and defining and explaining the, the standards and then um, and then digging into IDQL. Uh, and, and, and I learned quite a bit today and, and, and I want to learn more about identity orchestration. I'm going to be a subscriber to your podcast. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And I'd like to wish you a great remainder of 2023. Thanks so much, Mark. I had a great time on the, on the show today. Appreciate it. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. 